Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Hallelujah. There you go. May I pray for you, Rob? You can indeed. Father, I bless you for my dear friend this morning. I thank you for the wonderful friendship that we have developed over the years. I thank you for the mentor and the father figure, the word of encouragement and the presence of counsel that's been and journeyed with me personally all these years. I bless you for him today, and it's such a privilege to have him here with us, Father. I pray, Lord God, that as he shares the word with us this morning, that our hearts would be wide open to what you have to say to us today. Bless him. May your grace be upon him. May your anointing rest upon the words of his mouth as we open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kalimera. Christos Aneste. It is such a joy to be with you today, and thank you for your invitation. Um, for your hospitality as a congregation to us as Presbyterians, because we're venueless at the moment. Um, we know the Lord's going to open a way for us, but it hasn't happened yet, so we're glad that we've got a space to be in this morning. But also your hospitality as a congregation to the ministry community of Pinelands, and you may not be aware of this, but... Uh, this ministry network has gathered in your complex here and enjoyed your coffee, thanks to Siobhan, um, and then prayed together for Pinelands for, I don't know, three, four, five, five years, somewhere about there. Um, and so I, I just wanted you to know that your reward won't be in this world. Um, <laughs> But we are grateful, and I know that the community of Pinelands is blessed as a result of it. And, and so I was blown away when Michael called this week and, and said that he and, and Andreas had, had, uh, would like me to, to invite me to bring the word today. And, and I want to say that's a really deep, deep honor. Thank you so much. Um, I would like to base what I'm going to be sharing with you today on three passages of Scripture. Now, Presby folk amongst us know that I'm not a textual preacher in the sense of saying, this is the text for today. I don't tend to operate that way. Um, so I won't be preaching directly from any of these three passages, but what I'm going to share with you this morning is best founded on these three passages. And Pam and I are also honored this morning to have our family with us um, Three of our four children are, are with us, um, with their spouses this morning, and, and that's a joy. Always nice to have, and 60% and of our grandchildren, um, three of the, of the four. Rachel, our oldest grandchild, is, is granddaughter is here. The other two have nipped out, uh, got absconded with the, the kids' ministry. Um, as well as Pam's brother, Gavin, and his wife, Sheila, and, and very old friends, Guy and, and Meryl. So, with all the family, I thought that I would invite my in-laws into the act this morning and invite them to read the scriptures. And uh, 
So my daughter, Tammy, uh, daughter-in-law Tammy, is going to be reading from Psalm 180. Thanks, Tam. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm reading from Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 14 to 24 in the contemporary English version. Tell the Lord how thankful you are, because he is kind and always merciful. Let Israel shout, God is always merciful. My power and my strength come from the Lord, and he has saved me. From the tents of God, God's people come shouts of victory. The Lord is powerful. With his mighty arm, the Lord wins victories. The Lord is powerful. And so my life is safe, and I will live to tell what the Lord has done. He punished me terribly, but he did not let death lay its hands on me. Open the gates of justice. I will enter and tell the Lord how thankful I am. Here is the gate of the Lord. Everyone who does right may enter this gate. I praise the Lord for answering my prayers and saving me. The stone that the builders tossed aside has now become the most important stone. The Lord has done this, and it is amazing to us. This day belongs to the Lord. Let's celebrate and be glad today. Thanks so much, Tim. And then my brother-in-law, Gavin, is going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 to 28, and it's the Good News translation. But the truth is that Christ has been raised from death as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. For just as death came by means of a man, in the same way the rising from death comes by means of a man. For just as all people die because of their union with Adam, in the same way, all will be raised to life because of their union with Christ. But each one will be raised in proper order. Christ first of all, then at the time of his coming, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. Christ will overcome all spiritual rulers, authorities, and powers and will hand over the kingdom to God the Father. For Christ must rule until God defeats all enemies and puts them under his feet. The last enemy to be defeated will be death. For the scripture says, God put all things under his feet. It is clear, of course, that the words all things do not include God himself, who puts all things under Christ. But when all things have been placed under Christ's rule, then he himself, the Son, will place himself under God, who placed all things under him, and God will rule completely over all. Amen. Thanks, Simon. And then our gospel reading will come from my son-in-law, Devon, who's going to be reading from Luke chapter 24. Thanks, Devon. 
anymore. Uh, Luke 24, 1 to 8. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, carrying the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the entrance to the tomb, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They stood there puzzled about this, when suddenly two men in bright shining clothes stood by them. Full of fear, the woman bowed down to the ground, as the men said to them, Why are you looking among the dead for one who is alive? He isn't here, he has been raised. Remember what he said to you while he was in Galilee. The Son of Man must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and three days later rise to life. Then the woman remembered his words. Thanks so much. We live in a Good Friday world. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann was conscripted at the age of 17 into the German army, and he witnessed the firebombing of his hometown, Hamburg, in which 40,000 civilians were killed, and much as has happened in Ukraine. And he wrote that Good Friday is the center of the world. But he also wrote, Easter morning is the sunrise of the coming of God and the morning of new life and the beginning of the future of the world. The laughter of the universe is God's delight. It is the universal Easter laughter in heaven and earth. The quote struck me because I couldn't remember any mention of laughter in the accounts of the resurrection that I'd read. And that's unusual because generally when people come through through terrifying or through, through bad experiences, one of the first things that happens when they get through the other side is that they begin to laugh. You know, you, you, the, the television cameras focus on captured people who are released, and they come out, they may be crying, but there will be smiles and then, and, then, and then laughter. And even in, in deep trauma events, there can be moments, moments of laughter. It, it, it may just be a smile, kind of a, an escape valve and then swallowed again by the the grief of of lost. And on Easter morning, the disciples certainly woke up in a sea of sadness and a sea of grief. They were depressed. They were lacking the kind of direction that that we feel when when life pulls the carpet from, from underneath us in one of its typical Good Friday moves. You know, you lose your job, you get fired, or you're told that your best friend has cancer, pancreatic cancer, and they haven't got long to live, or you're told that you've got a life-threatening disease, or, as has happened in, in KZN, 
in these last days, your home gets swept away in a mudslide. It's a place without hope. It's a place of despair. It's a place of depression. And I want us for a while just to, to identify with this place this morning. Because it's the place that we would be had Jesus not been raised from the dead. It's a place of condemnation, place where we're under the weight of sin. And I think too often when we, we talk about our faith, we, we gloss over this place very quickly. We, we move to the wonder of forgiveness, to the, the amazing love of God, and, and those are wonderful places, but we skip over the place of condemnation. And I think it's understandable because for most of us, it's almost impossible to imagine a world without the cross, isn't it? We, we live on the other side of the cross. And I'm going to ask you to stay with me, if you will, for a moment. Think about this. Have you ever done, you, you probably have never done this, but ever done something that you knew was wrong? Okay? You knew it was wrong, but you went there anyway. I know you're laughing because you've never done this. It's just us preachers that do things like this. You knew it was wrong. You did it anyway. And you come away and you think to yourself, you idiot. How could you have been so, how on earth did I ever think I could get away with this? Idiot. How could I be so stupid? You know that you've blown it. You know that you're probably going to be found out and you just live in that place waiting for the bomb to drop. It's a place of condemnation, place of fear, place where you wait for retribution to smack. Now, if you can get your imagination in the right gear, I want you to go there. And if you can somehow intensify that feeling, you can begin to imagine the place that we would be if Good Friday had been removed from our calendar. You just want the ground to open up and swallow you. then imagine the same situation. Get your mind around the feeling that you'd have when you discover that the evidence that has been built against you has been overlooked, or it's been, it's been lost, or it's somehow just got swept away in the mudslide, and you're off the hook. Don't rush the moment. <laughs> At first, it's a case of, it can't be true. There's a glimmer of hope that you want to believe, but you can't even begin to, to hope for it. And then a second wave kind of washes over you, and you realize that all the bad stuff that was coming your way has been blown away. 
and you're actually off the hook. And your face moves from, from grimace to, to, to disbelief. Your jaw drops open. And you say, I can't be. I, I was so sure that, that I was done for. And as you realize you're off the, the hook, what happens? You begin to smile. And then the smile turns to laughter, particularly when you meet with someone who's been through that experience with you, and you laugh. And that's what seemed to be missing from the the Easter accounts. And then I found it. Two places in Luke 24, verse 41, again in verse 52, also in Matthew 28 and verse 8 if you look at the screens. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? Now, you might say, where on earth is the laughter in that? Well, picture it for a moment. You've been told by Mary and the woman, and ladies, I'm sorry to say this, but women's live in those days didn't exist, and so women were less than nothing. The Jew prayed, thank Lord that I'm not a slave or a woman. So women didn't feature, but they come and they tell that Jesus is alive, and nobody can get their minds around it. Peter and John go for their early morning run down to the tomb, and it's empty. And then Simon, Jesus appears to Simon, and then Cleopas and his, his friend come sprinting in all the way from Emmaus. They've run that way. That's where we get the, the, the you know, two oceans marathon routes from. <clears throat> they, they run all the way from Emmaus. And here's Jesus then standing among them, and they are terrified. They think it's a ghost. then they realize that what's been told to them is true. And what do you think they began to do? They began to laugh. It's true. He's alive. He's not dead. And if you read between the lines, put yourself in the place. You've had sleepless nights for Friday and Saturday. Doubt gives way to possibility. Possibility begins to give way to reality, confession, uh, reality to confession. He's alive. You begin to laugh. And I think Jesus joined in the laughter. He said, got any fish here? <laughs> and he ate it. In verse 51, after he leaves um, the, the ascension, St. Luke records it. They worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, you're doing pantomimes, and you get the word joy. How do you illustrate joy? How do you act it out? (laughs) You laugh. See, Easter and laughter have got to go together. The joy of Christmas is an expectant joy. It's the joy of hope. There's a chance. A Savior has been born. But he's still got to grow. He's still got to develop and do his stuff. 
Easter joy is totally different. Easter joy is because you're off the hook. And that's why in the Middle Ages, on Easter Sunday, they had laughter liturgies. 15th century Bavaria, churches celebrated the Sunday after Easter called Rhesus Pascalis, God's joke or the Easter laugh. And the priests would, uh, would crack jokes in their sermons to try and make the faithful laugh. And after the service, people would gather and play practical jokes on each other and tell funny stories. It was their way of celebrating the resurrection of Christ. It was, it was the supreme joke that God had played on Satan by thinking that he'd nailed Jesus in the grave and then he raised him from the dead. Ha ha! Gotcha! <laughs> Laughter time. Hallelujah time. Michael, I think you were born in the, long, lost, the wrong century. <laughs> You really were, you know. I mean, you love to make us laugh. And I think that's because you love the resurrection so much. Hey? I'm going to come back to this in, in a moment, so just pause. Um, but before I do that, let me say this. If you're not laughing this Easter, ask yourself why. Why aren't you laughing this Easter? I think it's because we live in a Good Friday world. It's a world in which bad stuff happens, and we've got so used to it that we testify to it all the time, don't we? You know? We say, you know what happened today? And it's a leading question because we want people to say, what? And we then want to launch our testimony of the, the most recent bad stuff that's come our way. We live in a bad Friday world. It's a world <clears throat> which is disenchanted. It's a world that considers miracles embarrassing. It's a world that, that disdains any belief of an afterlife. Don't come and tell me about that stuff. It's a world that mocks crazy things like, like angels and demons, prophets, saviors. It's a world that shies away from any kind of mystery that lies outside the world of science. It's a Good Friday world where bad stuff is the norm. And when that bad stuff settles on you, my goodness, it's hard to, 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 to laugh, isn't it? Even when you do believe. Now, think about this. When you are carefully knocking in a nail, knock, 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 and instead of whacking the head of the nail, you whack your finger. Pain is all that you can feel, isn't it? Okay. Nothing else comes into focus, particularly if you've been hitting hard. And sometimes 
the pain of the Good Friday world is so intense that that's all that we can see unless we're distracted by something else. So think about this. Bear with me. You've just hit your finger with the hammer and you can't think straight. But then you see that in your initial whoop dance that you've been doing around, you've actually knocked over the five liters of paint thinners. It's spilled open, somehow caught fire, and it's now surrounding that nine kg cylinder of gas. And all of a sudden, you forget about your sore finger. (laughs) Our standing before God is like hitting our thumb with a hammer. The pain is our pain. We've inflicted it. But we just get distracted by the pain of the Good Friday world, of the stuff that's, that's burning around the gas cylinder that might happen. Good Friday world fills our mind with so much doubt, with so much pain that far too often the reality of our standing before God without a Savior simply doesn't feature. What's keeping you from laughing this Easter? What lie have we absorbed that's clouded our vision of amazing grace? Well, perhaps we don't laugh because we're not actually sure that Jesus really is alive. We're not sure that sin is forgiven that the devil and evil is defeated. And if you're in that place, take comfort. Because the resurrection accounts say that even those who were with Jesus, who, who were with him in person, face to face, doubted. The first witnesses to that Easter tomb uh, struggled. They Imagine stumbling around in the, in the half-lights, uh, out of breath from running, and in, in confusion, you're saying, is that an angel there? Are those shadows, grave clothes, or is their body there? The man outside, is he the gardener? St. John begins his account of the resurrection with these words, early in the morning while it was still dark. And that's where Easter began 2,000 years ago, and I think it's where Easter still begins today, in the dark. In the place of fear, in the place of uncertainty, the place of struggle, the place that all the Good Friday world throws at us. And that's the place that God comes looking for us. Easter proclaims the Christmas truth that God is Emmanuel. He comes to find us. And in this Good Friday world, He calls out to us. And until we hear that call, the the clatter of the Good Friday world will always mask the reality that we are in more trouble than we could ever think of or imagine. 
And until we face the reality that we have blown it with God, until we know and believe that we are in trouble, there is no joy in the good news that there's a way out, that we've escaped the deepest separation and loss in all creation. Unless we know that we are captive, there's no sorrow at the loss of freedom. No despair, nothing to fuss about. So what's all this? But when you know that you've sinned, when you know that the consequence of sin is no relationship with the living God, when you know that without Jesus to please your cause at judgment, you're destined to be separated from God for all eternity. Once you know that when you die, you don't automatically just go to be in heaven then there's something to sweat about. And something to rejoice in when the breaking news is that you're off the hook. The cry, Christos Aneste, Christ is risen, tells us that God has intervened in our world. that God has broken the hold of sin and death. And that joy should always fill our lives with a smile. Love the story that's told that in the small free state town of Springfontein in the 1930s, a minister from Bloemfontein was invited to preach at the series of Easter prayer meetings at the Dutch Reformed Church in the town. Now, motor cars were very rare in those days, so, of course, the Duomini had to come by train. And the church members of the council went to meet him at the station, but they'd never seen him before. There was no Google. They didn't know what he looked like. But in those days, they were fortunate because it was quite easy to recognize a minister by means of, of uh, simply <clears throat> his dressing and his dignity. So when they saw a man get off the, the, the train dressed in a dark suit with a very serious expression on their face, they said, that's him. They went up and said, are you the minister from Bloemfontein? He said, no, I'm terribly sorry to disappoint you. I've just got terrible toothache. John Wesley said that a sour religion is the devil's religion. We're in a Good Friday world, but time hasn't stopped. It's moved on to the more significant news of Easter morning. Christ is risen. And let's allow that news to invade our Good Friday world time and again fixing our eyes on the resurrection to say, He is risen. I know this. He is risen indeed. And we encourage one another. We spur each other on by saying, Christ is risen. And in the midst of the Good Friday world, we say, Thank you. He is risen indeed. I thought I'd close this morning by moving from the sublime to the ridiculous. And seeing as I was in a Greek-orientated church this morning, that we should go and just enjoy a laughter liturgy.
probably seen an email of church bloopers, bulletin bloopers, like the one that said that the preacher for next Sunday will be found hanging on the foyer. Notice board. Or another one that said, what is hell like? Come and hear our choir. (laughs) Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. one I liked the best was this being Easter Sunday. We will ask Mrs. Johnson to come forward and to lay an egg on the altar. (laughs) We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.